Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. Well, this is Coach Chuck Greasy, and it's another week of American Tennis, and thanks for listening. We're back. I, I was off for a couple weeks, and daggone it, it's just too crazy during the season with the multiple things you have to do to um, to do the show the way it needs to be done. And I could throw something together, but to get a guest and to get a good topic, it takes time. The preparation is just part of the deal. And listen, when you're coaching college, this is no disclaimer or anything, but if you have 10 players on the team, it's like coaching 10 teams. Uh, you're number one through 10 player. Player number one on that team is – might be the forehand, the backhand, the fitness, uh, the mental toughness, uh, uh, daggone school problems, girlfriend problems, emotional problems when they get ahead, emotional problems when they get down. I mean, everything, every player, uh, you know, demands a lot of attention. And you never see out on the pro tour for sure anybody that has uh, one person coaching ten people at a time. I think the great um, – Scott McCain might be the best I've ever seen, and he would used to have four people out there at a time. But uh, anyhow, that's no disclaimer, no excuse. We're back and uh, want to get a rolling. And, and the reason I'm excited about the program today, you know, we have, um, again, one of the best, not just the best and the brightest, but, but absolutely uh, I think the top, uh, developmental coach maybe in the country and uh, his college records prove it how, who he's worked with proves it but he knows his stuff and he's also been through the ranks as being an athletic administration and assistant athletic director he's done all these different positions that on top top of uh, motivating youngsters and that's that's coach randy blumendahl and um, I've asked him to come on today, and we are right in the middle. I, we just finished our recruiting period, 
And uh, out there, it is helter-skelter out there for parents and for kids. And, uh, look, I know what tennis parents feel like because I'm a baseball parent and I'm learning everything the first time. And uh, I'm finding out exactly some of the things that uh, tennis parents go through. So tennis parents, coaches, and players, this program for you. And this is on how to pursue college tennis and what the heck's going on. And I'm hoping we get a lot of things about the lay of the land. And uh, I'm going to get Coach on here. Coach Randy, welcome to the show again. We're glad glad to have your expertise on there. So we got you, don't we? You're on, aren't you? I'm, I'm on. Thank you for having me on. It's, Good. Um, I, I just, uh, real, real quick, I just wanted to read what I wrote down here. I, I, and this might be a lead-in. I put, even though there are hundreds of youngsters, not thousands, in the U.S. trying to pursue the opportunity to play collegiate tennis, and most are coming away op- uh, shorthanded, are left out, and those that do get to go, um, it is a tough, tough deal on the boys' side. I mean, in 33 years when I coached at Clemson, I only gave away. Well, I'll tell you, in 40 years of collegiate coaching, I only gave away four full scholarships, four in 40 years. And uh, that was very, very interesting and special cases. On the boys' side, it's really, really hard. On the women's side, you can speak for that here in a minute. But it's just tough on parents. There's just not a lot out there to work with. And I'd open up by saying I tell most parents, if your youngster's top 50 in the country, they'll get recruited by the top schools. But after the top 50, At every level, you're competing against 50 other countries' top 10 players. Those 500 or more players from other countries. So I'll open it up with there, but talk to the parents and the coaches and the players, Coach, about pursuing college tennis, and uh, we'll we'll go from there. Go ahead, Coach. Well, um, yeah, so this is an interesting subject, and I know it's something that, when um, every parent, their their child starts excelling in in the sport of tennis, it, it's a question that comes up. And um, to what extent? Um, it just depends on how far they are along in the in the recruiting process. But early on, they want to know there's opportunity out there. And because of you know a lot of decisions that are being made by leadership. That, that really have to do with a lot of other things, the, the scholarship opportunities not as good as what I think people believe it is. And, and even on the, the women's side, you just talked about the, the women that have eight full scholarships per team or they're allotted that. They, they don't all have the access to that. Um, so they're, they're allotted eight per team. I just read an article that said 40% of those eight are in the top 25 are allocated to international players. So, um, and, and as you go, get out of the top much? 25, 40, 40%, and if you get out of that top 25, that number starts going up drastically, drastically. I read an article I the think other day. It's more that, like. 70 or 80 after the top top uh, 20. Yeah, I would say easily 70 or 80. And I read an article that was 
approaching 80% of the scholarship in tennis is allocated to, to internationals. And, uh, um, you know, so we have a problem. And, and I know there's administrators out there that have, have talked about this. Um, and, and I know parents, you know, initially with the, with the parents, with younger players, they're, you know, well, how can we control costs? I don't think that's going to happen. I, I mean, I, I would like for it to happen. I would like for junior tennis to do a better job of controlling costs, but it hasn't happened. So they're spending a great deal of money to be able to get on that list that you talked about. And I think on the men's side, it's more like top 20. I don't think it's top 50. I think it's top 20. Really? Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. And, uh, you know, on the women, it's 50s becoming less and less realistic as well. I think that number is getting down to close to 40. Um, so you, you've got that every year, and you've got thousands of players that are competing for these 20. And we're not talking about 20 full scholarships like Coach Creasy was saying. We're talking about 20 players that are going to get some sort of scholarship. And um, on the women's side, maybe 40 players are going to get a full scholarship at a top school. So that's not really – I don't think anybody would yeah, – I don't think anybody's excited about that news. I don't think anybody's excited about the, the those are the facts. Um, and then, you know, why we, – we've been into, well, why would the college coaches recruit so many international players? Well, there's a lot of reasons why, and I think um, – we have to talk about that, and then we have to talk about some incentives moving forward to get things going in a direction that's going to help American tennis. But currently, we're not in a good place, and it and it's going the opposite direction. So um, I know a few years back, and maybe try to approach this that way. Is that what you're going to try to do? I I think it'd be fantastic. You know why? Absolutely. Why they are, why not, and then maybe some things with incentives to get this thing turned around. I mean, this news, I I know it, you know it, we were in that arena, but the point is people out there don't understand why, I guess, number one, the why so many foreign players, why are coaches recruiting them? Your thoughts, and I'll give a few. Um. Why are they recruiting international players? Um, it, 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 well, it starts with they've taken the NCAA has taken away every avenue to to develop players and, and improve players over the course of four years. So when you when you take away the development, and then there's accountability when you recruit American players. Like you, you have to answer to a certain number of people that are probably close to wherever you expound on that. Expound, expound on that. I don't want to go off on a tangent here. <laughs> expound on that. That's yeah, the key so, thing I was going to bring up. No one understands that, but expound on that. So, so if um, you know, if, if there's a local kid that's doing really well, and everybody knows that, you know, everything's you know, level-based, and you you got to keep improving. And college tennis is a good level of tennis, especially at the highest level. Well, a local kid does very well and goes to his state school, and 
there's not enough hours in practice because they've taken those away, and there's not enough hours in competition because they've taken those away through scoring systems and and, uh, opportunities to compete. So when you take those two things away, and the, and the young person doesn't, you know, he's not able to continue to improve at the same level as he did in junior tennis, the fingers all get pointed at the college coach. So it would, it's easier for him to take a, a player that's, you know, two or three in whatever other country, and if he doesn't do well, you know, okay, nobody's going to really notice. But if the, the boy right down the street or the girl right down the street doesn't do well, a lot of people are going to ask questions and they don't, you know, they're going to point fingers at the coach. That's, that's the bottom line. So that's the accountability. And, and uh, it's good if you have a mechanism that, you know, you can improve the majority of kids that step into your program. And I know a lot of coaches want to talk about that, but in all reality, the, the rules are working against them with that. So it's becoming harder and harder and harder. So what is reality to do that, and all the college coaches know this, is, you know, the the, the, the American player's got to be very similar level to whatever international kid that they're bringing in, or it's very difficult for them to excel. So, yeah, that, that gives them another reason to recruit a kid from um, Pakistan instead of the kid from uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Right. So, if, the kid, um, if I could jump in there, just the thing I usually say yeah. is if the kid from Pakistan pans out, you look like a genius recruiter and a coach. And if he does badly, you go, oh, wow, I just missed it on the kid. Or you say, oh, I was a bad kid. I made a mistake. And then you don't have the parents down your throat as much either. And uh, that's that's a real tough deal. And then also – if you do recruit the local kid, um, I remember back I had a, you know when we could work hard with the players. What you're saying is very profound, because when we could work hard with the players, you could make up that difference, and you could give the players goals and say, "Hey, you're here. You need to go here." You know, I've never had a problem with a player when we have the same goal in mind, and and what but what happens is kids have unrealistic goals they don't understand to please their parents, and then the parents are upset. The kids come off with, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not really that good, and wow, wait a minute, and then the disclaimers and the phantom or mysterious injuries come up, and all of these problems that you're pointing out to, Coach Blumendahl, I mean, it's, it's so, so true. I think that's sort of why people go to consultant firms to hire people now, too, uh, is some of the times in a university setting, you know, you're wondering, why do they go to that consultant firm? Well, if the person doesn't pan out, it's not your fault. If they do, you look good. That's sort of like recruiting an international player. But if you recruit the local person or the person that everyone knows and they don't pan out, whether it's for an employee or whether it's a player, you're on the line. Your head's on the chopping block. Uh, I was told uh, one time uh, by a local teaching pro in the state when I'd recruited a kid with a lot of potential, he said, I sent a Ferrari over to Creasy, and he turned it into a Volkswagen. Well, <laughs> that's not the whole story. 
the kid ended up really good, but you had to, he looked like a Ferrari in local competition, and then he became a Volkswagen, and then he got back to being a Ferrari again. But at the same time, the local teaching pro had no idea what the level was like at that time. So, anyhow, I had to break in and talk that much, Air Coach, but go ahead. You continue, sir. No, so that's uh, that's one part of the equation, and and uh, and then it spirals into this, you know, position where we're we're currently at, and a lot of people are saying, well, it's in the name of entertainment, or it's in the name of, you know, our, our sport just needs to gain traction. People need to be more excited about it. I would like I, I've seen where college tennis has changed all the scoring I would like to see the numbers and attendance and see if that's changed at all because what you have taken away is for sure you've taken away a certain type of kid that has been inspired by sport to do great in a lot of different things including school so if you take away that that work ethic and you take away and then you take away the incentive of scholarship you know, you're, you're taking away a, a large portion of really what made the sport great. And, you know, and there's other kids out there that, that do it a little bit different, and that's fine. But why are we taking away that part? And, so that and how are we uh, taking away the work ethic, Coach? Could you go into that just briefly? How are we taking away well, the work ethic, or how are the administrators taking away one's work ethic? Uh, well, they, they, they're selling it in the name of student welfare um, because they don't understand the educational value of sport because most of them that I've been involved in that are administrators at a high level now haven't played sport. So how would they know? They don't know. So only know what they've been told or what they read or what they observe. And sport is one of those things that, you know, it's 15, 20 25 years of lessons and really diving in there and sacrificing a lot before this other stuff surfaces. So for them to come in and say, Oh, in two months, I just didn't see the educational value. Um, kids need to be more like students, you know, normal students that, or, you know, have a, uh, a normal student life, whatever that means. Cause I don't think everybody has the same life in college, uh, you know, a lot of different paths to be successful in college. So, um, so that's uh, that's been the agenda, and then also with Title Nine um, and trying to allocate certain funds, that that's been kind of which just been uh, used in a way that has for the smaller sports, especially for the males, have is taken away it hasn't equalized anything it has taken away from the from the boys opportunities where it's given a few more opportunities to girls but the majority of that's going to international players so these are or federal funds taken away title nine's taken away from the opportunities because listeners out there are going to say hey i thought that was a great thing how's title nine i i call it a a very good law, very poorly implemented. Explain, explain, Coach. So, so, so there's supposed to be three prongs on Title IX, and it's supposed to be 
a mechanism for getting equal federal funding for boys and girls. So, so good, very good concept. Um, when when it got put into college athletics, there was certain sports already in place that had a large number of people on the team, and women's athletics didn't have the same thing. So they wanted to equal all that out. So instead of a sport that was similar in size and in scholarship, they started taking away from the, the, the boys' sports. So tennis and golf and track and field and sports that That's maybe cool. didn't make an economic impact, they for the school, they started taking scholarships and opportunities away to equal it out for the girls. It's called proportionality, and therefore, like yes. when we when I was at uh, Clemson, for example, it's 40, 47% women at that time, 53% men, so 53% of the scholarships got to be for the men and then 47% for the women. However, football is in that equation, which was 80 scholarships. So right away, women don't have football. So how do you get even? Well, they might have they have 12 volleyball scholarships. And baseball, well, let's see, maybe softball. Basketball was a good example. I think basketball had 15. Men only had 10 or something like that. And then tennis, yeah. women had eight full scholarships. Men only had 4.5. Now, at that time when it came in, I did a little bit of research and find out at that time there were 24,000 boys that played tennis in tournaments in the, this country, USA, and there were only 8,000 women, girls. So three times more boys, but only half the scholarship. So that was a, a six-to-one ratio disadvantage boys to girls. So it was a but it was never meant two things, Coach. It was never meant to destroy non-revenue sports for for boys, and at the same time, it was never set up to protect. This is the point: women from other countries. It was not set up for eighty percent of our USA dollars for college sports to go to whether it's Japan, Indonesia, uh, Thailand, or. Uh, Brazil or Spain or Portugal or uh, France. However, as you said, at most, especially out of the top 20 schools, top 20 schools, 40% goes there, which is, I don't know, that's workable maybe. I, I think most people would agree it should be about 20, probably a four in the USA. But then the point being is that in the smaller schools, the D2 and the NAI schools, NAI schools, it's 80%. So you can see how boys, you know, boys have just been squeezed out of the scholarship market in the sport of tennis. So, so I needed to throw that in there because uh, I had done some of that research there, Coach. But you go ahead and continue. Thank you. Um, no, that's. That's uh, I, I think that's exactly where I was going to go with that, and then, and then uh, um, something that that I've thought a lot of is, you know, well, how could we fix this? You know, what what do we need to do to fix it? it it's it's we, I think we're very much aware that it's broken, and in tennis, it's it's really obvious. But it's not just tennis; it's other sports. But how do we fix this where 
federal funding is being manipulated in a way where a lot of the dollars are going to kids coming in on on student visas from overseas on foreign students coming in so how how do we change that up and you know, it, it, we had a couple of roadblocks. This conversation's been going on for a while, but the leadership, David Benjamin at the ITA, you know, has, has come out, and I actually read a couple more articles over the weekend. He's come out and, uh, you know, talked about, you know, how that we, would, we wouldn't be allowed to do anything about That's it. not correct. Because go legally, ahead, ahead, right, which is not correct. Yeah, it's not so wouldn't legally be able to do anything about it. And several divisions wanted to kind of break away and say, no, we want to implement a rule like this. We want to implement this. This would help out. This would get us going in a different direction. And it was it was always shut down, always shut that down, and never really gained out. any ground. I'm sorry, that yep. was a bailout by, by him, by Benjamin. That was a bailout. That was the worst Excuse. Now, let me make this point. Let's say even if it was true, they were afraid of lawsuits. Who was going to sue the school? Was the kid going to sue that never got the scholarship offer in the first place? In other words, what? What kids, oh, I didn't get an opportunity. If it was a 20% rule, this kid's not going to sue. Or his parents going to sue somebody? No. Is, this, is the athletic director going to sue because, oh, we need more international students? No. Is the coach going to sue? No, that'd be stupid. That'd be stupid. The coach going to get, get fired if he tries to sue a school. Who's going to sue? That was the most ridiculous, ridiculous bailout. That was always such a cop-out and a bailout. And so it, it, it makes me furious when they use that. You know, so. Jim. Oh. Agreed. Agreed. And then uh, junior college. You know, when things started kind of falling apart with junior college tennis, they actually implemented a rule. Um, but it, it it just was, you know, and anyway, I'll let you talk about that. But but it, it nobody ever sued junior college. Nobody said they couldn't do it. Um, you know, and, and it was the right idea. It just needed to be done across the board. Um, so... You know, that, that kind of brings us to where we're at. And then the other fear is, you know, that if we implemented any sort of rule that it would make things unfair in the recruiting. Well, look, I mean, <laughs> let's just throw that out the window and let's start talking about what's going to make American tennis better and uh, and not talk about what's you know, if, if certain sections of the country would have an unfair advantage or not. That goes on regardless. Yeah, it goes on regardless. Stupid. Every every that's university's got a niche. Yes. Now that's just stupid. You know what we need to okay, so yeah. here is the thing. The USTA, you know, I I uh spoke about the deep state of tennis and I called the Haggerty guy out. But one thing he did do about ah, seven or eight years ago when he was president of the USTA he came out and said, Look, we need to recruit American kids. Well, it's a problem now is that, you know, you put it on the coaches. Problem now, a lot of the coaches are internationals. And so it's like probably 50% of your coaches might be internationals out there. Your programs are all internationally driven just about. But but here is, here's the thing that the USTA, 
that I sprung back on them. I said, okay, if USTA, if you guys really want American players, why don't you take $1 million of your $600 million or whatever you make on the U.S. Open every year, take $1 million and you give bonuses to the six coaches in the United States that have done the best job with American players. You can call it whatever you want to, but USTA, you want to help? You want to help recruit Americans? Give a coach that's got 80% or better American players and they finish 15 in the country. They did the best job. They get a stipend, a bonus, a scholarship, whatever. Give them 200 grand bonus. You do that twice or three times, don't you think and that coaches would think, whoa, wait, wait, a, wait a minute here. I, I think I'm going to recruit, make that extra phone call to that kid from, from Dagon, Wichita, Kansas, or from uh, Kokomo, Indiana, before, before I go overseas here. And, and um, you know, that's the, the idea because now what they did, now Coach in, in – um, this is just history speaking. I've, I've been in this since 75, so I saw the whole thing unravel. But we missed the biggest opportunity in the mid-90s. There were 96 players ruled ineligible by the NCAA because they had taken prize money. before the Internet really was out there. And a couple schools turned each other in and bang, 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 just like uh, dominoes falling all over the place. 96 people got called out. And the NCAA put 96 kids on a suspension or a or a, a list that they had to be checked out. All right, the NCAA guy comes back, and afterwards it was just such a big can of worms that they come back and say, oh, "Okay, the rule now. What we're going to do is make it a three-match suspension," and all the cheaters. All the people recruiting internet pros go, really? Three, is that all? And it opened up the can of worms a little bit more now. The worst is right now, kids are allowed to make up to $10,000 a year in prize money. And this was done to cover for the kids who played pro tennis since they were 15 or 16 years old. And so they can go to college and be – they don't have to uh, give their money back. They got a ten thousand dollar limit after expenses. I I have the the thing on my door here that I got from the compliance office because hey, parents out there, American kids ought to take advantage of this too. If international kids get up to ten thousand dollars, American kids ought to be able to do it too. But they did this. Now it's just floodgates are open. And we basically have semi-pro league out there and from all over the world. And so if you're a state high school champion from Kansas or from Iowa or North Dakota or somewhere and you're thinking, wow, I'm, I'm hoping I can make a, a college scholarship here, hey, better think again, man, because right now that level isn't good enough now. The, the the paradoxical thing or the really conflicting thing is that even with all that we're talking about, about the international players that have already played a lot of pro tennis, the average is very, very mediocre 
we have a lot of people at the tweener level that's pretty good, but nobody's going out and playing pro tennis. I mean, from the college ranks right now, we have three former males, one former female that went to college in the top 100. So the point is, is we've got a lot of people that sort of wind up their minor league career in pro pros. Then they say, let me, let's go to college. And those, our kids, it's like Eagle Scouts versus Commando Warriors. Those kids, those kids that are winning up in Kansas or North Dakota or Idaho or somewhere, and they've got these great dreams, nowhere to go. They probably end up walking on to a state university or playing D3 tennis where they don't have scholarships, but forget D1, D2, and NAIA. So, Coach, um, anyhow, so let's solve it. We talked about why. Let's talk about and how. By the it. by the way, I want to I want to make this very clear. I, the majority of the coaches in college athletics, college tennis, are very much aware of this. Very much aware. So it's it's not. Hey, how do we make these coaches aware? And if they just are trying, they know, they know that this is not helping. So why do they do it? I mean, they're trying to, they think that's the only way they can keep their jobs. So they're getting, the opposite is going on. They're not getting incentive to recruit Americans. The opposite, they're getting pushed into a place. And I'm talking about coaches that said, oh, I, I would never recruit internationals. Well, two years later, well, I just had to or you know, I was going to lose my job. Now, why right. is that? Why is it? Why are we in that situation when we all know in the big scheme of things and the revenue streams and all, it doesn't matter to the athletic directors. How did we get into that position? And shame on them for putting us in that position. I mean, shame, that, on that, and I'm talk, shame on ITA. Shame leadership. on the ITA. Shame on the athletic directors because – they know in the big scheme of things that it's just a it's a little blip they got to deal with and and it's not going to really help them. I'm talking about the administrator. It's not going to help them one way or the other, other than they you know they want to do it for the athletic team. But this isn't something that's going to give them the gold star at the end of the day. It's not football. It's not basketball. It doesn't have the revenue streams. So why did we, why did you put the coaches in that situation? Why did you put them there? Because it's not, I'm talking good people, great intentions, and they come to you and they look you right in the face and say, if I don't go to Europe for three months, I won't be doing this a year from now or two years from now. Coach, coach is recruiting. To explain that very quickly, that's, that's mind-boggling what's happening now in recruiting. Explain that, Coach. They, they go over to Europe for anywhere from six, Six months. I've heard. I've heard six coach, months. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The Mason School coach told me yep. I had a, a friend who's a coach at a, a school, and he said, "Look, I need somebody that can travel over, be gone for three to three to five months overseas, and doesn't mind living out of a suitcase." You know. Yep. I mean, and they're having to do that. And that's where we're at. That's where we're at. And then we ask. 
you know, well, what about American tennis? And then these guys get, eventually they get selfish and they say, well, what about me? I'm not going to have a job in six months. So, I, you know, I can't think of American tennis, even though they know that long-term this will not sustain itself. So, you know, you've got that, but it goes right back to the poor leadership, really poor leadership and shame on everybody for putting us in those positions. I mean, that's unbelievable that nobody could, well, they just didn't have enough perspective to really sit back and go, oh, this would happen if we made these decisions. And and and, and I want to see the numbers because I my nose kind of rubbed in this. I want to see the numbers on how the attendance has quadrupled or whatever in the last no. two years since you guys implemented the scoring system. But I don't want to no, get into that. No, today, no, 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 no. Come on, no. guys. Go, I mean, go to my uh, program on uh, the 31st of January if you want to listen to what all happened there. But that was a, what is that, a, you know, a red herring or something to lead us off the track? Was that, that was basically a, a big, big fib. Should I call it a fib or just an outright lie yeah. that that's what it was about? More fans get on TV. Give me a break. Give me, give me, that, that's ridiculous that the no ad and all that. They, they, they did that me. so that it would, that would level the playing field without skill set, you know, to have random mm-hmm. results. In meantime, in that same time frame, more internationals have gotten scholarship than two years prior to that. More internationals than Americans. So the, the, that it's not that hey that thing's way out of bounds. It's getting worse. It's it's going in a direction where more and more and more international kids are getting scholarships. So um, yeah, how do we? Okay, coach. How do we coach, solve I want to solve this here. We've got about ten to fifteen minutes, but I'm going to solve this. Yep. I wanted to say first of all. <clears throat> Look, at this point, regardless of how you feel, nobody has anything against international students, international student-athletes, people that, I mean, my golly, I studied under Harry Hopman for my tennis, the Dennis Vandermeers. Those people have made great contribution. There's a lot of wonderful, wonderful athletes that come here and play. However, again, the money should not be – should 80% of it be going to, especially on the females, on the women's side. Oh, my golly, Title IX was not set up for, you know, to protect women from every other country, especially if we're trying to grow the game. So here's what we have to do. It's too late now to just say, okay, 20% or whatever. By the way, there would be no lawsuits even if we did that. However, USTA, let's challenge you. How about giving bonuses to the top American building player coaches? out there, the ones that do the best. So we could do that incentivize. What else might we do, Coach? Well, first of all, I wanted to make one quick point on on that, and I think what you said is right on. When the majority of the kids on the team became internationals, the college tennis is special to the domestic kids. They grow up, they're the ones that dream about it. The kids overseas, they don't even know about it until they reach a certain age. So it's not one of their – so it is a plan B, plan C. It's a, it's a mechanism for them to try to get an education right. in the United States and experience. 
and there's exceptions. But when the majority of a team, a college team, becomes that, it stomps out all the dreams of the kids that actually want to do, want to be inspired on a whole different level, want to do things on a different level. And when it was the other way around, you know, you could have had one or two. Then the internationals that came over knew that was the deal. Like I'm going over there. It's going to be serious here. But when it became the norm to be plan B, plan C, it, it affected our American kids. That needs, that, that's a point that needs to be, but so what I would do is is um, I still think that we should be recruiting within a 300-mile radius. I think recruit okay. those teams within a 300-mile radius, and then you have one or two exceptions, and you okay. can only allocate X idea. percentage. Okay. Um, but I think the way that, any of these type of sports, it's not just tennis, but let's stick with tennis. Tennis, you want to grow tennis, you want people to come out and watch the matches, you want, you know, you're going to have to change a few things with, uh, you know, other parts that you do, but you want people to really come out. But what they're most interested in is the local kids. And then tennis is one of those sports where you kind of follow and follow and follow, and then you it builds excitement, builds excitement. Right. Same in the match. And then also the same when you're on the outside. Oh, he's on this win streak. He's doing this. I want to go watch this kid. He's from 10 miles from my house. When you take that out, the the sport, you know, and, and I think even with American tennis on a, in a big picture, you know, what we're trying to figure out, well, how do we solve the problem? If we had a kid, a, a male player, females have, have had this, but if we had a male player that uh, won – multiple grand slams, it inspires. It inspires a whole generation of kids coming through. Um, same thing with the – but because people want to see the the local kid. I mean, Fed's done That's great correct. things, but he's from Switzerland. So, um, you know, that's something that, that we haven't talked enough about. And, yeah, there, sh- there should be an opportunity for international players. I think that's great. But when we're talking about federal funding, I mean, and we're, we're talking about federal dollars and helping out in different ways, I mean, what percentage of that should be for the opportunity outside of the U.S.? To add on so, there a little uh, bit to jump in, Coach, you know, local high schools, yeah. I think back in the 60s and early 70s, before we started busing kids all over the place to go to school, uh, sports were tremendous. The loyalty to your school, school and mom, dad, school and American Pie was tremendous because you had neighborhood kids playing at their neighborhood schools, high schools. Once they started shifting the kids and bringing players from halfway across town into the school, uh, the loyalty was not there anymore. And so, you know, the point is, is, um, uh, this is the same same thing as you're you're talking about, Coach. Why don't we tell parents real quickly in about three minutes? I got a little bit of a list, but why do you tell them? Um, stay in the hunt, right? Yep. Um, find ways. Find ways. Well, I give them ideas of maybe what the college coaches would be looking at, and one of the one of the things that they look at above and beyond because. The USTA ranking system is confusing at best, and I think a lot of people would say it's not accurate. 
So don't no, look at not. that. Don't look at UTA, UTR is more, uh, and you know what? The star U- system, collegerecruiting.net, tennisrecruiting.net, Coaches look at that and UTR. USTA rankings are not consistent, and coaches because really don't pay level attention to anymore, yeah. folks. They're level-based. And if they look at a ranking, even though I think, you know, it can be skewed as well, but it, but they like that they're mixed in with that group of people, they look at the ITF ranking, the world rankings. Um, okay. So, so, so college coaches will look at a player that's, 200 in the ITF maybe before he'll look at somebody that's 40 on re- on tennis recruiting. So, um, you know, and that's splitting hairs, but they do look at it. They do look at that. So it's another way to separate. But, but really as we get into all that, we start sliding into, you know, how do we make this perfect? But it's about the kid's development. So the kid just, you know, ultimately he needs to continue to to develop. And if he'll keep searching that out, especially in today's college tennis, it'll be a separator. I mean, if he continues to get better each and every year and throughout college, every college coach in America wants that shit. I I agree. Let me jump in there a second. Look, get good, get better, get better, kids, youngsters out there. A third of a percent every day. In 300 days, that's 100% improvement. In two years, it's 200%. Three years, 400. 400 eight, four years, 800. Five years, 1,600%. Because if you improve a third of a percent every day, it's the law of exponential growth. Fall in love with the process. Develop relationships with other coaches or with coaches out there. You make the phone call. I'm recruiting a kid right now, Coach Blumendahl, for next year. The kid called me five times. Now, he came down to visit with his dad, and I told his dad, I said, and the dad was sort of high-powered looking. I said, Dad, I, I said, sir, I said, I'm impressed by your son because he, he did all the dirty work there. He's calling me. Usually it's a coach or mom or dad, but the, but the kid's calling me. I like that. So what else you got to tell parents? Why we got a minute and a half, coach? Um, no, those that's all good good advice. I mean, they they need to go out and they need to search search what they're looking for, um, you know, and, and they can do that early. They can do all the contact. All the 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 rules make you think that that there's should be no communication going on, but really the 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 kid can communicate at any point to a college coach. And that's what you were getting into, um, it, you know, in eighth grade, seventh grade. They can start looking around and start looking at, you know, watching Coaches just you know, cannot the way pursue they do them until after their junior year, folks. It used to be that's senior, right. now yep. junior year. But, but um, you can go talk to coaches, go to matches, go to college matches. Um, you just get to know people, communicate. In the end, if the coach likes you, if they know who you are, Dag on it, they'll probably try to make a place for you. That, that, they will, they will, and that, that's with the and that's a whole nother show. But the the way the recruiting is set up is at best rude, and it doesn't help the coaches figure out the best fit for the program and the players to figure out what program will help them thrive and 
you know, do well in, in, in whatever they're going to do in life. If it's going to be tennis, that's great, but whatever it's going to be, it doesn't help them do that. So they need to spend more time trying to figure that out on their own and then get to know the coaches as well. Um, and then, you know, also they're watching a lot of interaction in the tournaments and, you know, how they, you know, just how they do, how they interact with the coaches, how they interact with their parents are watching all that. So uh, they just need to be aware. They're on the stage. They're interviewing all the time. Um, yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, and in, in, uh, um, also the, they, they talk, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the kids talk with each other about the programs, but that gets watered down a little bit if it becomes, you know, a program that's mainly international. It's harder for kids to figure out about, you know, what, what they need to know about that program. Well, Coach, can people get a hold of you, um, or can they? Uh, do you have a website? Or um, and I know you're going to be moving to Florida, and uh, yep. I can't do a commercial for the place or anything. But you will be locating yep. yourself in Bradenton, Florida. Go, Coach. Guys, look up Coach Randy Blumendahl. B L O E O E M E N D double A L. Correct. Coach Randy Blumendahl, yep. uh, go look him up, and uh, uh, I think your email, I better, should I give it out on the air if people want to get a hold of you? Sure, sure. Okay, give, um, give it R-B-L-O, out. R-B-L-O-E-M-E-N at iCloud.com. Okay, R initial, so, yeah. then Blumen to the N, yep. B-L-O-E. M-E-N at iCloud. Folks, look him up. He's one of the best. And, Coach, thank you. You're one of the best for taking an hour out of your time to to do this. And let's stay on it out there. Let's try to make American tennis great again. And, uh, Coach Bloomdahl, you're doing your part. And thank you for the wisdom that you've shared today. And, folks, we got to go. stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. 
We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.